Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. I'm your host, Violet Luca. Claire Louise Bennett's unclassifiable essay about Louise Bourgeois, the iconic French-born artist, appears in the September issue. Its multi-threaded, knotty form is well-suited to its subject. Bennett weaves together her first experience of seeing Bourgeois' work in person with elements of the artist's biography, her own biography, and other semi-tangible physical and emotional phenomena. I spoke with Bennett about her approach to writing on Bourgeois, along with psychoanalysis, Catholicism, and the artist's long, vibrant life. So... Louise Bourgeois is a bit difficult to talk about because she had this extremely long career. And, you know, throughout her career, she was close to many, you know, important art movements and artists, people like William de Kooning, Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko. And it was only really into her 70s, she was 71, when she she had this intense recognition. She had this moment that continued until her death of sort of being like, this is a really important female artist. And, you know, the arc of her career sort of speaks to the problem, this larger problem with female artists who, you know, only seem to exist when they're young and hot and new and then they disappear and then they appear and then again when they're old, they're d- rediscovered. And I'm using really nasty air quotes around that rediscovered when they're older and, you know, reappreciated, even though they've been going this entire time. So how how did you find a way into bourgeois work, given how much of it there is? And do you feel like your piece sort of challenges the idea of the of the hyper focus on the young and the hyper-focus on the old, and and finding a way into that really crucial middle period. So in terms of how I approached uh, the piece, I guess the angle, it was, it was difficult to decide um, because I'd read a lot of material before I went to see the exhibitions or the exhibition in London at the Hayward. And I hadn't really realized how much uh, she had written herself. And I hadn't realized how many interviews she'd given also. So there is a lot of first-hand material. And I spent a lot of time with that material while living on my own uh, in quite a remote place. So it kind of got into my into my head a lot of it she spent a lot of time in uh in therapy psychoanalytic therapy uh for kind of classical freudian nature um that started just after her father died it was probably prompted by her father's death um she had a very low period after uh after his death and uh, and sought the help of, um, well, there was a psychoanalyst she saw first, and then she she moved to a guy called Henry Lohenfeld, and she saw him up until about 85, I think. So she started in maybe 52. The dates might be a little off, one, one year out either way, but it, she was in therapy for like 30, 30 odd years. And during that time, she uh, she wrote. I mean, she wrote quite a lot. And a couple of separate tranches of these loose sheets were discovered. 
in the 2000s. Uh, and they've been compiled, I guess, by um, uh, Philip Larratt Smith. Um, and they're, they're kind of available, not all of them, not in their entirety, but they're available to, to read. So that was my, I, I was looking at that before I went over to see the work. I was looking very much at her written life. Um, and it was incredibly moving. And I hadn't, like I, to be honest, it's quite strange to say, but I hadn't, uh, I haven't delved too much into Freud. I've, I kind of always avoided Freud. I don't know whether I'm getting it wrong, but to me, in a way, I kind of thought, mm, there's something almost Catholic about, about, you know, the Freudian sort of approach, because in a way, it's kind of saying that there's something inside of you that's absolutely like wrong. <laughs> And that needs to be purged, you know. It just sounds very Catholic to, to me. <laughs> I, I'm sure Freudians out there are going, "Oh God, she doesn't know what she's saying." But I mean, you know, to an extent, this uh, this sort of just this focus on this idea that there's something in you from from childhood that's repressed is just quite a quite a difficult idea. But anyway, so I started. I started to get interested, and of course, there have been quite a lot of essays written about bourgeois and her work, and Freud and analysis, and the idea of, uh, you know, the artist um, as being someone, I suppose, motivated by personal struggle and anxiety is an idea that's very familiar to us as well, you know. So uh, I was just thinking about all of those all of those things, really. Um, and I started to read some Freud and it was interesting, I have to say. Um, it was it was interesting. And he's, an, he's a, a curious writer, that's for sure. Uh, and the way, like, the way he kind of justifies an idea, is, it reminds me of the way you do it when you're a child. You know, you kind of make everything fit. <laughs> it's uh, It was quite an extraordinary read and i thought maybe i would be kind of focusing on the, the the freud stuff but it was a bit heavy and it was i don't know i was a bit out of out of my depth but then i read um an essay by juliet mitchell who's a british uh psychotherapist and um she's written extensively on on bourgeois and what she said um i kind of took as a as a kind of a principle to work with and she said that uh, bourgeois didn't really want people to try and work out what she meant in her work. She wanted people to pay attention to what it brings up in their own life and to work kind of associatively. Now, free association is a, a key aspect of uh, psychoanalytic th uh, therapy, right? So, and this idea of free association was, was very strong as a kind of a principle for her in her art as well. There's this kind of this overlap really of methodologies in her psychotherapeutic uh, process and in her art process. It's like a strong kind of seam of inquiry, interrogation, association. So those psychoanalytic writings are as much about being an artist as they are about being a, a self. Um, so 
so I was very, I was interested then in that notion. I thought, well, all right. So when I go to see the work, you know, in a few weeks time or whatever, I'll just, I'll just free associate. <laughs> like, I'll just go, you know, whatever, whatever comes up, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll pay attention to, to that. Uh, so that was, uh, that was what I gave myself as a handle in terms of going in, you know, because sometimes it's hard to know. And that's, and that's the other thing I was sort of exploring a bit in that piece, I suppose, is it's like, well, what, what are we going in with when we go to see, you know, any, any exhibition? What is it we're kind of going in? What is it we're expecting to, to meet with? And what is going on there? And um, what is, what is the information that's ordinarily surrounding those are objects in order to help us, you know, putatively to help us, you know, find a, find a way in, you know, and how is meaning kind of constructed and all of those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I went in and it was kind of funny because I was like, right, I'm going to free associate. And, uh, and then I had this notebook with me and I just wasn't writing down anything very interesting. <laughs> It was like, oh, this is a bit literal. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of strange. And then I, I think I got a bit frustrated. And, um, and also it's quite curious to, to see artwork after having spent so long, almost in, so close to this woman's sort of psyche, if you like, and her life. And I was reading about her biography and all those things. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um yeah experience then to for weeks later to go in and see the work in another country and that's always you know that's always an experience in itself to go back to uh, you know the UK for me um so there's all kinds of things you know already surrounding it uh as a as an encounter so you you know you don't use Freud's name in this piece but you he feels very present and to sort of go off this idea of association both in terms of bourgeois work and your relationship to it there's there's a stretch of the piece where you revisit a childhood source of pain which louise bourgeois also experienced which is a father who laughs dismissively at his child as a means of control so could you talk about that memory and how that memory connects with your experience of bourgeois work so yeah, that was that was sort of a peculiar uh, section, um, and I don't know. I don't know why I what prompted me to start writing that paragraph. Like uh, the associative stuff, then started to happen when when I came back, um, and there were different kinds of levels of it, if you like, because I kind of realised, well, look, this is not going to take place when you're in the gallery, right, looking at the stuff. Like, it's going to take time. So that was a bit dumb to think I was going to stand there with my notebook and, you know, have, have certain, I don't know, revelations or um, material come up. Um, I did, I did afterwards, I went to a bar because I was waiting for a train and I, I ordered something to eat, something small, and a few things came up then, which I wrote down. I wrote down a lot of stuff, actually. And then I came back to Ireland and um, I... So that that just sort of appeared, and I think I thought I was writing about her, and then I realised I was kind of writing about me. So there was a kind of a peculiar blurring uh, that that went on there, and kind of talked about it a bit with the uh, editor uh, Joanna Biggs, 
because she said, oh, there's, we don't, I'm not sure who you're talking about. And I said, well, I'm not really sure who I'm talking about either, actually. It's a bit weird. Do I have to make it like really clear or, because I'm not sure where my experience ends and hers kind of takes off. Now I do in the sense that my father wasn't anywhere near as kind of uh, excessive as her father in all, in all ways. Like he just seems to be excessively uh, uh, derisive and and keen on these these jokes, you know, these which uh, you've you've seen the uh, the film that was made, the documentary that was made, where she recounts a trip that her father did at dinner with the tangerine. Um, so uh, it was a real he made a real spectacle, you know. Whereas I, my 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 father didn't go to quite such lengths. Um, but there were, yeah, there were, um, there were definitely things that that it that it, it it prompted, and staying with this this idea that I that I had from from Juliet Mitchell, I just sort of stayed with it, and I thought, well, I'm I'm going to, you know, that's that's going to be in it then, you know. But yeah, it was it was strange because it did feel a bit like a bit of a a strange blurring. Yeah, well, and I mean, there's also the the blurry in, in the sense that this entire memory is related in the second person, you, which feels to me like a very deliberate, formal choice. So um, why did you choose to write the stretch of the essay in that way? Well, I think probably in that I was sort of, I was kind of, I was evoking her. It was difficult to, yeah, it was difficult to know and like I said, it was something that I we did discuss, Joanna and myself. Um, it, and it was it was impossible to sort of untangle and say, well, this is her and this is me, and you know. And it didn't feel I don't know. It didn't feel particularly necessary to to uh, make those allocations clear in a way, because it it seems like. Um, it seems like an experience that a lot of people share probably. And it is that idea of having shared, you know, having shared something, I think as well, um, that makes it, that makes it, that makes her work and reading about her, you know, kind of so, um, poignant for, for me. I mean, I like, I didn't, I don't think I knew, I didn't really plan uh to to start the way that i that i did with it i think it had um a much stronger dimension of uh i suppose um a personal dimension i suppose than i'd anticipated um i mean it's it's a it's a curious process right because you know, I read a lot, obviously, and I spent I spent several months researching, and then also knowing very well that I'm not an art historian. Um, I'm not even an artist. I don't, you know, I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a I'm a you know a fiction and well nonfiction writer, but my background isn't isn't in art. I'm not an expert on these things. So, like. I guess a non-expert you you kind of do the other you do the thing where you read so much because you don't want to be kind of winging it you know <laughs> so you, re you end up reading like <laughs> just tons and tons and you think oh god I don't know where to start and I don't know what to say and I I'll get it wrong and all this kind of stuff um and I mean there's so much about her and her life that is fascinating right. 
But at the same time, there's plenty of that online too. It's 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 easy to access. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I mean, that's sort of why it started where it did, because it's, you know, she had she created so much work. Her career lasted for decades. She has entered the pantheon of female artists you must know about, which is which is great. But again, it, it finding a way into that is incredibly daunting when there is just there's there's so much uh, that she created, either, you know, in her artwork or through her writing and then also, you know, the response to it. So I really like the essay because I think, you know, there are lots of ways in which you're kind of in concert with her work and what she did, in uh, particularly the insomnia drawings. Those involve repetition. And your essay, your sentences, you know, like her drawings sort of loop and circle and they have this rhythm. And do you feel like you adopted that way of writing for this essay or is it something you know that sort of at the level of the sentence is that something that has always interested you I think probably that's always been a kind of a feature of of my writing and I did discover a number of affinities with her um in terms of uh, I mean she she had um a background also in geometry she studied geometry in the Sorbonne and um that was a very strong element for her in her making and in her thinking, uh, this notion of structure and, and architecture and creating environments. I mean, a lot of the cell pieces and so on, mm. very deliberate attempts to create a specific environment that has really nothing to do with the environment of the museum space. You know, it's like, well, I know the museum's there, but I want my work to be seen in this kind of a way. So I'm going to create an environment around that so that 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 happens um so i i i did um they, there were yeah there were certain features i suppose that i kind of recognized and got excited by a lot i form interests me a great deal and particularly the interplay of form and emotion then i find uh really very interesting because quite often it's um i think seen that maybe you have one at the expense of the other almost, you know, if something is very sort of formally uh, constructed, it's somehow cold. And then the other way, you know, if something's very sort of emotionally driven, it's kind of all over the shop. And what's fascinating about her work is that the ele those two elements are equally as strong. And she worked insanely hard to get that, uh, that balance, I think. Um, and I found, I found that incredibly interesting. And there is, there is an awful lot of pain um, mm. in in the work. And I suppose also knowing that and reading through that. And I mean, there were there were occasions when I would stop reading and I would cry because what mm. I had read was very upsetting. Um, so. I I suppose a choice then was made when I was looking through what I'd written um, and some of the stuff that I'd wrote myself about, about pain. I mean, that's the way it starts. You know, I, I mm -hmm. when I'm in pain, I don't particularly want to write. And I just thought, well, I can't... It seems almost voyeuristic of me to not mention or give something of my own 
pain or to include something of you know to 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 be vulnerable myself in some kind of way or you know what I mean I didn't want to come at it from like above or at a remove I wanted to come Mm. at it from within it on its own terms um and so and so that's what I, yeah, that's what I did. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of afterwards then as, as the weeks went by and it was too late really anyway then to change it, but <laughs> I kind of looked at it and thought, oh God, I wonder if it's really solipsistic or something like that, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> what a mess, you know? But then, but then like, it might be, I don't know. I don't know. But you just think, well, I have to try. You know what I mean? Right. I have to do this, like, this is the way I'm going to do it. And, and it's an essay, you know, and that's what essays are there for in a way. And I know that there are, there were so many things I could have written and I hope to get the opportunity to write more about her. I mean, I could have written 40,000 words to be honest with you and included Mm -hmm. and weaved in much more than of her life. And, you know, it could have, it could have really, really gone on. It was, it was kind of frustrating (laughs) in a way. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm sure some people are like, thank God it didn't go on, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I I know you know I kind of know that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea for sure but um but it 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 meant it meant so much to me that I could I could read all of this that she you know that she'd written and I don't suppose she intended for people to read it really um but in even obviously in her artwork in the work that she did intended for people to, to see and engage with I mean she really did put herself on the line and I thought well I'm going to put myself on the line a little bit then you know I'm going to mm. reciprocate I'm going to meet her halfway on this you know what I mean yeah so that was that was kind of that was kind of it for me so it had to be sort of yeah given a bit I, I think of, of of myself whether people wanted it or not I mean I think the discussion of pain that sort of runs throughout it is really interesting um and yeah, at one point you write, quote, pain for bourgeois wasn't about being raw and making work that was about catharsis. How I hate and loathe and despise both of those terms for the way they imply that art motivated by emotion is formally haphazard. Do you think, and end quote, do you think that, do you think there's a gendered element to that judgment that emotional work is somehow messier and therefore less than or the or the even you know the notion that pain and plot are kind of at odds with each other well yeah I suppose it sort of chimes in with that notion of women being sort of like leaky creatures or something you know because it is (laughs) there is that kind of um term of you know spilling one's guts or whatever and that, yeah, again, that idea, yeah, of just like letting it all hang out or whatever. So again, yeah, um, uh, being leaky <laughs> in, in, in another in another way, you know, letting it all out or not being, yeah, not being contained. And I find that in, in, in very very frustrating um, because I think in in doing so, in in creating these works that are maybe uh, in some way fueled or guided by maybe very very interesting different forms are being created Mm. um and they i mean i i i know it in my own in my own work i mean to be honest when i don't really um i don't particularly write very well when i'm really emotional 
Mm. Like, because I end up just writing, you know, quite silly things like, oh, I'm so pissed off and oh my, I hate him. And why did he do that? And why did he do that? What, why? You know, just like, what? and I just write again and again. I really hate him. I really hate him. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to bed and I'm tired. And whatever. You know, it's not great. So it's, that's, that's actually like, emotion itself doesn't really create great work. I don't, I don't think. Mm. It's not, it's not the, the feeling at that time necessarily. And that feeling, I don't know how long that lasts for, but it's in the contemplation and the exploration of that pain. And that's what you're getting in Bourgeois' work is this is not just about heightened emotion. This isn't just about, you know, falling apart on the sofa or whatever. This is like, this is something that is almost an integral part of my selfhood and way of being in the world. Um so, so what she does, which, which I find interesting, is um, it's just, it's re, I don't know, it's reconfiguring these ideas about emotion and, and catharsis and the idea of, you know, art making as being therapeutic. You know, mm. people often ask writers and artists, is it therapeutic? And you just think, God, what, you know, what are they on about? No. <laughs> well there are, there are there are plenty of there's plenty of like bad art that is just therapy for the artist so that, this, that yeah. for certainly yeah. exists for sure for sure so there's this always there, you know there, there is this link between those things and and looking at her work and uh is a way of really bringing some rigor to that i suppose and thinking about the relationship between those things in a in a more complex uh and deeper and deeper way i think um and as she you know as she said it it's not like the pain goes away it, it's it's here it's here to stay she says and and uh so what you know what is it and what what can i and what's it made of almost you know and how can i calibrate or how can i and that is another aspect to her as well, which is, is so interesting and wonderful. I mean, she had an extraordinary education. Mm. And part of the education was, you know, studying sort of some of the classical French thinkers. We know Montaigne was a big influence on her way of thinking and self-examination. And Voltaire was another. So she was, uh, to, to the end that she then um, was actually quite sort of um uh positive uh, it, um in terms of she thought change was possible that you could progress that progression was possible you know and what's interesting about about her um is that she she did suffer tremendously physically as well as as mentally and of course those two things are absolutely interlinked and you can see that you can see that in her work um and she, as far as I can see, through all the reading that I've done, she never took any medication. She never, you know, took to drink or any of that kind of stuff. She kept herself completely clear and was in control. And she just, there's a word that comes up a lot in her uh, writings, and it seems to be like a key kind of self-concept, if you like, tenacity. And it's a word Freud uses in, in mm. terms of describing himself also as this kind of conquistador and adventurer and 
the tenacity that that requires. And yeah, there's something similar there. She was absolutely tenacious. And, and I think that's why, for me, when I, when I say that word, when I'm saying it now, and if you could if you could see me, my hands are going like crazy. And it's that word that makes me think of her hands. And her hands were a very, very fundamental aspect to the essay. Yes, yes. Because, no, I mean, they, they, they reappear throughout the piece and, you know, in, in impressed and even laudatory terms. And, you know, they're hacking away at a rock when I can barely lift a pen. And I mean, you know, sculpt, sculpture is a very physical medium compared with writing, of course. But, but you write here about the physical experience of writing, too. And do you feel aware of your body while writing? Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, I seem to write quite well when I've got stomachache, but um, I seem to write about what's going on out of the window, actually, when I've got stomachache. (laughs) 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 I don't know whether it's like that. I don't know. I'm not going to try and interpret that. But um, yeah, I I, am. I I do find it difficult. If I'm really really feeling very uh, upset, I do find it hard to physically move a pen. It, I think about it. I don't know what it's to do with the nib or something. That sensation of it moving across the paper just feels kind of. It's I don't know. I find it, it's just too much or something. I find it a bit. It's like it's um, my I don't know, like my skin or something weird like that. Um. So yeah, this then of course then I I thought God was she, <laughs> she like <laughs> she got to grips with such um uh intractable material you know like absolutely and and that was i mean that was that was deliberate she was kind of deliberately pitting herself against uh materials that would would resist her or put up you know put up fight Mm. and as she said you know it was it was a fight to the end um which i which i find extraordinary and i yeah so there was i don't know it was it was kind of a funny thing because I was I was looking around at the the pieces in the in the Hayward and there's some absolutely stunning pieces there, but yeah I did I did have a sense of perhaps there was some, yeah something missing and I couldn't quite put it down first of all because that exhibition uh, focused on um, work she did create a bit later in life um, they were the the material there that she was using was was fabric a lot of it mm. and and maybe yeah I, maybe that suited her a bit more because. I mean, it is it is hard going working with marble and so on, and she would have been, I guess, in her eighties, nineties at this stage. And a lot of the material, a lot of the fabric, um, was taken from garments that belonged to her mother and to herself when she was a younger woman. Um, so she was re refashioning them um, and uh, making them, I guess, making them present again. You know, they weren't just bundled up in a in a cupboard and just old clothes they were becoming something else by this this process I suppose um and so I think that's in a sense why I kind of missed her hands because to me it it would made it would have made perfect sense and there are lots of sculptures that she created of her hands and and her her, mother's hands of her mother and yeah and and there's a beautiful lineage there because her mother was a tapestry restorer and her whole family had been going back several generations as, as far as I know. And I, I loved reading about 
I mean, that was something else I kind of wanted to write about as well, the um, the tapestry business. And there's some beautiful images that she describes, beautiful scenes, where they're on the banks of the, the river, Beer, I think is how maybe you say it, and they're washing through the tapestries uh, after they've been dyed because there was some sort of tanning in the uh, river water that, that fixed them. I mean, it's such a beautiful image to imagine these women, you know, these big, heavy, old tapestries and ringing, and, you know, that action again of the hands mm. wringing out the the uh, water that was kind of um, with the dye, I suppose, you know, coloured by the dye. Um, so I did, I did really want to see, because... There's such maidness in her work, you know, it, it's, and I was reading something the other day by, by Lynn Tillman um, about hand, the hands are getting more and more removed, I suppose, from a lot of art making. Um, or I guess it's what she's talking about photography in that particular piece. So, um, and the process of, I suppose, developing pictures now doesn't require so much of the hands on that it did before. And I thought, God, yeah, with bourgeois, you know, like the hands were everything, you know, mm. and they're so apparent even in the videos of her. They they do kind of move around the table all the time, sort of looking for something. They need something all the time, you know. <laughs> um, so to me, I it seemed like a bit of an a bit of an omission that they just weren't there, and that it was strange that I should then go to an exhibition just about a week later, just before I left uh, London to go back to Ireland. I went into a group show in Whitechapel and the first thing I saw when I went in, I looked left and there they were. It was mm -hmm. amazing. This stone uh, piece that was also in a kind of a cell and it was her hands and her mother's hands. And it was extraordinary. It was, it was extraordinary. And I thought, well, you know, there they are. And it was mm -hmm. kind of almost really fitting that they were somewhere else, you know, <laughs> in a strange way <laughs> but I was very I was very glad you know it just seemed to I don't know resolve in some to some degree when I when I saw those I, and I got on the plane quite uh, uh, not not as disgruntled as I had been <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's kind of funny that you know the landscape that the mental landscape that is created in your psyche you know by this kind of work and you know when you've spent so much time with an artist I suppose it, it is strange and I mean that was that was another thing I suppose that I I kind of I I, I tried to write about it but I found it hard to kind of find the right words for it because another thing about it is that her I think her work actually does exist like when it exists as a memory it's even stronger because there's something about it um, like physically that makes it hard to sort of categorize when you're looking at it, right? When you're physically standing at it with it and looking at it, it's sort of weirdly, I think, I think your mind is having a hard time kind of categorizing it because it's a bit like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, is this artwork? But it kind of looks sort of, you know, weirdly playful, but it also looks a bit spooky. It also looks a bit, so there's all kinds of the, like, it's a bit like this, it's a bit like that. So I think your mind is jumping around a bit. And I think we're always trying to maybe categorize images in order to sort of, you know, process them a bit and, you know, make our way through the world. And her her work sort of def defies that. 
I mean, she'll have these sort of soft sculptures, these biomorphic kind of um, sculptures, and then they'll be in these real classical sort of solid vitrines, you know. It's kind of strange, but like, oh, mm. wouldn't expect to see those in, in something like that, you know. So there's all these kinds of um, juxtapositions and contradictions. And, um, so then I think, I think that means that they go into your mind and they haven't been filed, so then they're just floating around. They're just mm. floating around in your like brain and in your psyche. And your brain hasn't like put them in with, you know, the Van Goghs and all the rest of it. So they're just doing something weird. Right? <laughs> and after a while, it's almost as if they were sort of always there. And their provenance is kind of vague or something. And it's almost like you could have come up with them yourself or something. It's odd. It's a very odd experience. No, I yeah, I mean, I have that. I have that same feeling about the spiders, the right. giant, you know, her, which are some of her most famous work. The giant right, spiders, right, yeah. which are meant to represent her mother, but you hear her talk about the spider and say, "Well, spiders—they kill mosquitoes. They're protective. They stay in the corner." And that was sort of the experience of my mother. And then that was also kind of the experience of my mother. And so it's like that right. is it again. It is this weird thing where it's so. They're, they're these giant looming metal creatures that are so, and again, I'm, I, I hate spiders, hate them, but this culture is just like really burrowed into me. And again, like you say, it's something that I could have thought of myself almost, but I didn't. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, yes, that's it, yeah. The spider thing is funny. I mean, I when I came back then, I thought, I, I can't, that's it now. I can't ever, I can't kill any more spiders. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so, you know what? And I live, like I was saying, I, I was living in a very old place, uh, up in a, in a loft, and it's, it's spider heaven. It really, really is. She, she would have loved it. I mean, all different kinds. And if I'm away, you know, for a while, I come back, and there's always going to be a really big one. Big, fat, hairy <laughs> motherfucker in the sink. And I'm just like... And I would, you know, I would used to sort of build myself up just to kind of rinse it off down the sink. And I used to kid myself that, you know, based on the incy-wincy, spider or whatever, that it would climb back up. It's not, no, it doesn't, right? But so then I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Because she mm. would just think I was so dreadful. And it is. It's a really ignorant thing to do because it's not going to do anything to me. So actually, I got really good at scooping them out and um, and putting them somewhere else. And I wouldn't actually put them too far away because apparently a lot of those spiders, they don't, they've never really been outside. I Googled it and that's weird, but they have actually haven't really, they're house spiders. So you think, oh, I'll put them back outside. Well, they might not have ever been there. <laughs> yes. So they don't know what you're <laughs> it's like, it's, a re it's like releasing a house cat into the wild and be like, I'm helping it. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> But no, not really. Not really. <laughs> no. So that was a that was a funny thing, but um, yeah, yeah. But they, I did have a lot up in the corner by my bed, when, and I was just like, do you know what? You're kind of taking the piss a bit now. I do need some. I need my own space. Like you mm. all back off a bit. So <laughs> separate yeah. yourself from your mother. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, was... I mean, we're talking. I mean, it's great to talk about the physical space and sort of how we interact with you know different objects because you know so much of your piece is about what it was like for you to visit the physical space where some of you know bourgeois work was exhibited in a in a very open gallery and then you sort of you detail the feelings that you wanted to feel or failed to feel 
Mm. Well, viewing her work in that space. And I, I want to ask generally about the expectation and the experience of viewing art or reading prose and how preconceived ideas about connection or sophistication can keep us from actually connecting with the work. Yeah, I mean, it's, I yeah, I find that fascinating. And, the, you know, the way that these works are almost sort of staged, I suppose, and, and how gallery spaces have been... Um, designed and that idea of the I suppose the white space the white cube and so on as being I suppose minimizing perhaps any sort of you know ex- external um uh, context or whatever so you you just see the work or something like that it's you know as clearly as possible and it's almost as clinically as possible like it is an exhibit you know um but it's it's strange because it's a strange space sort of to be in because you're also uh, in it, you know, and feel a bit like exposed and an exhibit. And then there's other people, and that aspect of of it is uh, is very present for me anyway. When I when I walk through a gallery, you know, I'm very I'm very conscious of um, you know other people there and other people kind of being aware of me in there. And um, I mentioned in Tillman earlier, and these are some of the things that she explores in her wonderful essays as Madame Realism, you know, the whole experience of of going to a, a gallery and all these other kinds of, uh, uh, I guess, yeah, encounters that are going on while we're kind of looking at the art and, and wondering what we should be thinking and doing. And, you know, you and then you read, you dutifully read the, the bit of information that somebody has decided is the, the way, you know, the key. <laughs> Mm, so it's, yes. it's all quite a bit and she unpacks that also quite a bit in, in some of those essays so well and, and with great wit and style um and and I yeah I really I really enjoy that and I and I was aware then that maybe I was I'd anticipated having some sort of um really I don't know overwhelmingly emotional because like I said I I spent all these weeks a few months I think you know reading um and I don't know what did I, you know, what did I expect when I when I went there? I was just gonna like break down or something. <laughs> I have this, I don't know. And I was really, and I was kind of aware of that. I thought, oh my god, you, you're a disgrace. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> it was such a strange experience. And I was, I felt like I was just tearing around the place looking for so I don't know what it was. And I also felt that it was just too bright. It was too bright and it was too lofty. And that made me think about how and where we do see art and what, what is this obsession with it. And all right, okay, you want to see it, I suppose, you know. But, I mean, I, I think a lot of her... I'm going to visit her house um, next week. Yes. So I'll have more of a sense of... And the studio. So I'll have more of a sense of where the work, you know, was when it was being being made. But, um, I mean, I know I know she was concerned that it shouldn't be too theatrical I think she was conscious of that she didn't want it kind of tipping in and to theatricality and I suppose particularly like a piece like Destruction of the Father and and those kinds of pieces that are almost like scenes or sets you know um but I think I I really did crave a darker space really maybe because of the connection that in some ways it has with the unconscious um and maybe that sense of, because I don't know, because there is something about them. I and I, I think towards the end of the essay, I say something about them sort of being 
un you know unfixed not unfinished i don't i don't i don't mean that but the sense that they are kind of still mutable that they could move a bit or they could and i think you could get that feeling perhaps even more if they weren't sort of as harshly presented in a mm. way it just it startled me a bit i found it a bit it was a bit strong the the way they were kind of you know it was a bit much for me but anyway i mean do you know do you know what i mean yeah no i know it's uh but it's tricky because then the moment you start turning lights off people think it's a theater you know (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i mean maybe i don't know but it it could be interesting i mean that's not the worst thing in the world and then i was thinking the other day god wouldn't it have been amazing if she'd sort of done sets for beckett or something oh yeah that would have been really, I mean, because he's very minimal, but she, I mean, she might have done something very interesting with that. Or if she'd gone down that, if she'd gone, if she'd explore, I don't think she did at all explore that. I don't know what she thought. I'd say she probably didn't. Well, she did actually, didn't she? I think there were some kind of performance pieces actually that she did, maybe in the 70s, um, that involved cloth and winding cloth around naked bodies and things. I wanted to go back to this question of, you know, how bourgeois was interested in this absolutely strict and pure form. And though her work is emotional, it's not random or messy. I mean, in your own writing, are you interested in strict and pure form? And what does that look like for you? How do you attempt to achieve it? Well, I have certain ways of uh, thinking about what punctuation is for which I think baffles editors sometimes. <laughs> um, I I mean, for me, it's uh, it's not a sort of an incidental part of uh, what's available to me in terms of writing text at all. Um, uh, and I I write lists a lot. I like something about lists. I like what well, I think. What I like about lists is that you're isolating words. So they're not functioning within a sentence. They're there on their own. I mean, there's one after the other, right? And that does something, obviously. But they're not functioning uh, in the way a sentence has them function. Um, And sometimes, you know, there's that sense that they're almost, they almost become subordinate to the overall intention of a sentence whereas in a list they kind of don't they hold their own they hold Mm. their own you know what I mean um so there's something about that 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 I kind of enjoy and then and I think maybe that's why I do kind of use repetition a lot because then what does that do when you're reintroduced to a word again and again does it stay the same is it really the same word or has something about it altered this time so things things like that are important to me and what that does and what I do find it kind of I think is important to me um is that I want the reader to be conscious that they're reading um when they're reading my my novels I feel the same that they are conscious that they are reading I'm not really into this idea of you know sweeping somebody in to this you know, reality of, of the, the world of the book or whatever. Like, yeah, you do for a bit want that, but you also, I also want 
the reader to be conscious of uh, herself or himself. Um, because I want them, I value their, I value their lives. I value their experiences also, you know, um, people's lives and experiences are very, very rich. Um, and it's, it's exciting as a reader, I think, well, I know, um, when you're reading to, to feel aspects of your own self being kind of stimulated and activated and called upon. You know, I think that is achieved possibly by paying attention to, to form, mm. you know, and not necessarily getting too caught up in the emotional dimension, um, which might then, you know, sweep up. And we're, I mean, that, I mean, that is the funny thing as well, because emotion, as it's sort of portrayed in art, there's, I mean, there are conventions, and those conventions are not like they don't really have much to do with actually how, how it's experienced and felt in real life. It's a bit weird. I went to see a play um, a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and it was a very you know it was a very emotive piece, and you could kind of tell which parts were supposed to make us you know move us, and I, each time I could sort of feel it happening. I thought, oh yeah, here we go. Here comes the bit now. You know what I mean? Because it was, it felt like a very sort of familiar set of apparatus and stuff was coming into place. You know, it was weird. And then it made me feel really odd. And I thought, oh, no, God, I feel a bit embarrassed and I wanted to cringe. It was just weird. Because I thought, well, that's not how it goes at all in life. People don't speak like that or, you know, they just don't. You know, right. a lot of a lot of the time when stuff's emotional, it's very flat. It's very strange. People can't really say very much. And it's all a bit weird. You're like, ooh. What happened there? You know what I mean? It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's the con- yeah, the contrived, the pushing the button, <laughs> getting the response. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's a uh, instead of Freudian, it's it's behavioralist where you're in the Skinner box. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. So I'm very, very conscious of of that as well. I just, I really don't like anything that's even remotely sentimental because it's a it's a it's a convention you know mm. and I think in a way it then but then it sets up people's ideas of what to maybe expect in real life or how to behave in real life and it's a bit phony you know so I, mm. I tend not to get too into that really or maybe I'm just um maybe I'm just a bit um I don't know maybe people do actually maybe people do carry on like that I don't know <laughs> Like I said, I, I do, you know, I do spend a lot of time living in remote places on my own. I mean, <laughs> maybe things have moved on. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, thank you very much. This was uh, it was a really wonderful conversation. You've been listening to the Harper's Magazine podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Madeline Crumb with production assistance by Ian Montgani. The music is Cut and Shoot by Febrifuge. Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.